0: Hebrews chapter 12 we're going to look at verse 28 and 29 um, as we begin to think about what it is what reverence is and its kind of foundational uh, place and being a disciple and understanding who God is uh, we are um, started this process we call 3d disciples where we're working together to develop disciples who display God's love as they deploy into God's world. Um, If you are here this morning, we see a few people, uh, we have a little manual. If you don't have a manual, if you want to raise your hand, we'll make sure somebody gets you. Anyone need a manual this morning? All right. Then you can turn in your manual to page 30. Finally, we actually get to a page that has lines to fill out. Space provided. So... Uh, this past week when we were recording some of our podcasts, my co-host was making a little jab at me in love and care. Ten podcasts in and now we're finally to chapter one. So we're blazing through our manual. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12 in just a moment. This is kind of our foundational verse for the day. This is just kind of where we're at. I'm going to encourage you. To, you can like leave it there, kind of keep your finger there, because that's where we're launching from. To be, to be quite honest with you, reverence is a vast concept. Um, it is kind of like that description of love. It's something I don't know that we can understand or quite accurately articulate in, in completion. It's something more that we feel or experience or know when we see it or feel it um, or experience it more than we can define it. Uh, it's vast, it permeates the entire Bible, and so to be quite honest with you today, there is a lot of scripture. So in your like scripture coordinates, if you're going to write down, add, you're going to have a lot to add, you're probably going to need more space than that as we just start to kind of unpack what reverence is as we uh, start today. So chapter one is all about living righteous, living right. What does it mean to be in a right relationship with God? How do I live that out? What does it mean to live right? And really the first step, it, it has to start our living, and anything we do in life has to start with God and not ourselves. And too often, even in, in counseling situations in the world, we make it all about us, all about the individual. And, and when we do that, we're, we're off on the wrong foot. And so anything we do, any, any decision we make, Any way of living right has to start with God, and there's this large concept that that starts everything with God, and that's called reverence. I looked up, um, so here's the verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Now that we've parted this kingdom and we're securing that kingdom, what next? You know, it's that same question we asked a few weeks ago. I'm saved, now what? You know, that we weren't just saved just to be saved, that there's something more. He's like, now that you're in the kingdom, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Now, I want you just to to put on your imagination cap for just a moment. I would assume that most of us in this place believe in angels, maybe. If an angel popped up in here all of a sudden, what do you think would happen? We would probably clear the deck pretty quick, don't you think? We would just find out just how fast we could evacuate this place, I imagine. Uh, Because every time an angel appears in the Bible, people fall down, they're scared, they're terrified. Uh, 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 An angel is, is an awesome creature, and they're nothing compared to God. God created these wonderful beings we sing holy 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 And we're going to read this verse in a minute but it's talking about these heavenly beings that are crying out to the creator holy 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 are you i've never seen a creature with six wings with two they cover their face two they cover their wings and two they fly that's what's described there in isaiah and, and we come in here and the holy spirit comes in here and, and we believe god is with us today and i fully believe that the presence of god is here today and we take that casually and, 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 and not think about just whose presence we're in sometimes. He is a consuming fire. I looked up the idea. So I started reverence by looking up in Webster's Dictionary, Miriam Webster. I looked on their website. Here's how they define it. Honor or respect felt or shown, especially profound, adoring, odd respect. A gesture of respect, such as a bow or a curtsy, the state of being revered or held in reverence, used as a title for clergymen. Do not call me Reverend Jason, please. That that I, I will accept Pastor if you must. I prefer Jason if you can. All right? I am not to be revered in any kind of way. There's actually a scripture in the Bible. I took this early on in my ministry. There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about taking on places and names of honor. You need to be really careful about that. And there is one time and one time only, or there's a few times that I ever sign Reverend Jason E. Hunter, and 90% of the time, that's on a marriage license. That's when I use my quote, unquote, official title, or if I'm doing some other official transcript. I am not to be revered. I'm a man like anyone else. I have a position, and I try to fill that position, but there's nothing special about me. But as I studied this passage, as I studied this, I mean, this, uh, this definition on the website is several pages long. And, and I read it, and if you ever, stu- you know, you've read a dictionary, they start to give examples, and they start writing out sentences. This is how it'd be used this way. There was something that became very, very obvious, strangely obvious to me. I mean, this, this, this definition, this entry goes on for pages. And I noticed there was something glaringly missing out of all the pages describing what the word reverence meant. There was not one mention in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of God. Not one reference. Even when it's talked about worship, it's talked about they worshipped their father. The children worshipped their father at at his passing. They never mentioned God. And I'm not talking about the God as you and I know God, Jesus. There's no mention of a, a deity, any deity. The word deity is not used. It's like you're talking about reverence and you don't even mention a higher power whatsoever? I think it may be emblematic, it may be examples that reverence is something that is missing in our society. If, if the very dictionary that describes words don't mention that, that tells me something might be a little askew in the world in which we live. But we'll maybe talk about that in a moment. So, here's what we're going to do first. We're going to work towards an understanding of reverence. And we're going to consider two things, the components and expressions. Components and expressions. So, what are the components of reverence? Well, it's fear, respect, holy, and awe. So, these are at least four. I don't think this is exhaustive. I don't think I'm going to capture all that reverence means this morning, but we will start with these four components. Now, what is fear? Fear is the recognition of power, Okay, when we fear something, like if that angel popped up in here, we would recognize he's a whole lot more powerful than we are. We should scatter. And so, fear is just simply recognition of power. In Romans chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty, it says this: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. For by their unrighteousness, suppressed the, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his, in, in, his invisible attribute, attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made so that that they are without excuse. So when we look at the world around us, God has shown us something very, very clearly. His eternal power. We look at things like volcanoes and go, wow, that's powerful. Ain't nothing compared to God. You stand beside the ocean and think about the power of waves. Ain't nothing compared to God. How many of you have ever been in an earthquake and felt the earth shake beneath your feet? I was once in in upstate South Carolina in like a 2.1 magnitude earthquake, right? 2.1. Our house shakes, things fell off the thing. Nothing compared to the eternal power of God. There is nothing on the planet that compares to the awesome power of God and he's shown it to us and no of, no one of us not one of us has got an excuse for ignoring this power and fear of god is simply recognizing he's powerful he's strong he's able it's amazing so that's fear recognition of power respect is recognition of position That God has a certain position over us, right? Not not just power, but He has a place over us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? For what likeness compares with Him? It answers this question in verses 22 and 23 of Isaiah. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and he spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. God's position is on the throne of all of creation, over all the universe. He is the king. You know, there is none like him. Isaiah, later in Isaiah chapter 44, verse six, it says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last, besides me there is no God. And so respect is given to God because of His position. He is God. That is a position of ultimate positions over all creation. So we respect Him, we fear Him for His power, we respect Him for his position. Holy, as we sang holy, 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 is a recognition of his uniqueness. That's what holy means, special, unique, set apart, different. That's the base understanding of what what holiness is about. And so when we sang this morning, when we sang and we were mimicking the creatures in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting On a throne, because he's king, right? That's his position. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. One thing we have to recognize about God is he is vastly, vastly different than you and I. We, be made, we may be made in the image of God, but too often I think we try to make God in our image. Or think of him in our image, and our likeness. That we are but a shadow, a taste of that image of God. We're actually a broken image of God in, in our sinful fallen state. And that God is completely, completely different. And whatever you think about, when you think about God, it's probably going to be different than that. It's immensely holy Unique in ways that we cannot explain or comprehend. And the last component of reverence is awe. And that's what I define as the recognition of the X factor, right? That there's this thing, there's something about God that we can't describe. Just think about that. Isn't that the kind of God you want to serve? One that you can't comprehend? I mean, to be God, he has to be beyond. There has to be something about him that we can't grasp. I don't want a God so small that I can figure him out. There's, there, there, there needs to be, requires mystery and, and, and things beyond me. I want something bigger than me. I desire something bigger for me. And, and that's what we call, I call this all like, I just can't even get my mind wrapped around that. I believe it, I I can sense it sometimes, but it blows me away. It stretches my mind and my thinking and my beliefs all to the breaking point because he's that much bigger than I am. I'm going to read to you a lengthy section from Job, verses 38 through 4, uh, starting with verse 4. Um, I just take this in. And where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measures? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I make clouds, its garment, and the thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribe limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that, in the, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. For the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. Where is the way of the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take, take it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouse of snow? Have you seen the storehouse, storehouse of hell, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where light is distributed and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and the way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on the land where where, where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? On whom's womb did the ice come forth? And who's given, who has given birth to the frost of, out of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead the Maseroth in their season, and can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that the floodwaters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding in the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Who can tilt the water skins of heaven when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? As God reveals himself to Job, Job's answer is, I'll shut up now. Because he was awed by who God was. This guy, this God that Job thought he understood so well, he realized, I got no clue about who you really, really are. And he said, I won't speak again. So those are at least four of the components of reverence. I want to talk about three expressions of reverence. First, there's a sense of reverence. By that, I mean an emotion. That sometimes when we really encounter God, there's this, this emotional sense which we have. And there's a lot of debate in churches about being too emotional, not being emotional enough. There's one great historic pre, uh, preacher who led many revivals, and he very purposely made sure that he wrote out his entire sermons and he would read them in a monotone voice so that the people would get the information, but he just wanted to make sure that he did not stir up any human emotion so that they would respond. Can you imagine three hours of that? His concern was he didn't want to be overly emotional, but I think there's a place for emotions. You become for an awesome, holy, all-powerful God who sits on the throne, if you don't feel something, something's wrong. You know, that that it should cause us to bow down, raise our hands, scream, hide our face, that there should be something within us that stirs and say, this is magnificent. And there should be emotional reactions. I think one that I often feel when I've had the most reverence in my life is I feel small. I recognize that in the great expanse of time and space and history, that I am a 30-second blip at best. And all my days is like the passing of the grass, as as the Bible describes it. And that this wonderful, amazing God has taken notice of me. I feel small. That's probably an appropriate feeling. One of the other expressions of reverence is the display of reverence, right? We can feel it, but we can display it, right? Great Baptist line, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, you know, like we bow our heads when we pray, we fold our hands, we kneel, sometimes we lift our eyes to heaven or lift our arms up. There there are actions that we can do that are reverent prostrating ourselves before the Lord, laying down face first because he's so great. That These are actions that we can take. It's a a work of our will. And you're going to see the word volition in a minute. And volition means nothing but the exercise of our will when we make ourselves do things, that we choose to do and act in certain ways. And then the the last expression is the heart of reverence. There, like there's an X factor in God, there's an X factor within us. That we each have a spirit or a soul, this, this intangible part of us that, that we know is there, but we can't quite get our hands on. And that's really our spirit, our soul, or as we often refer to it, our heart. You know, I love you with all my heart. I mean it from my heart. We're talking about this internal part of us. And that's really the, the how we... The most important part of reverence—that it comes from our heart. So, so we have those components, you know, God's uh, the fear of God because of His power, the respect to God because of His position, the the holiness of God, recognizing uh, His uniqueness, and then that just awe of everything else that we can't explain. And, and we express our reverence through our sense, through our emotions, through our actions, and through our heart. And the part of the one of the things I want to describe here. Is there's a lot of people you can sense emotion. It can be just emotional, and there are people who you can display reverence. You can bow and 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 raise your hands and do all kinds of displays of reverence. But you're missing it if you don't have the heart of reverence. You know you can't be just about emotions and just about actions. There's got to be a touch point where the spirit of God touches the spirit of man on the inside of us. That's what God Jesus talking about the woman in the well. There's coming a time when God will accept worship. In truth and spirit, that this connection between truth, God, and the spirit of man. So here's a definition. We're going to arrive at a definition. The correct, emotional, volitional acts of will, your actions, and spiritual reactions to the power, position, holiness, and awe of God. There is our working definition. Now, if you want, and I want to tell you this, if you want access to either my sermon notes or the powerpoints that we produce so you can come back and get this stuff later if, if i move too fast let me know i am glad to share it i know we have several chords and groups starting and they want to use this, some of this material to kind of go through their manual a second time and kind of revisit it if you want access to it let me know i'll be glad to share whatever you want either slides or give you access to the sermon notes where all this is written down so when we talk about the emotions, what emotions do we have? Well, one that I want to admit is we should have is terror. Admiration is another emotion we can have and love. But, but often when we think about being terrified, we think about the devil. You know, we think the devil is scary. The devil ain't nothing compared to God. And if you're afraid of the devil, you should be ten times more afraid of God. Because he made the devil, and he controls the devil, and he is a victory over the devil, right? And when we think about terror, we don't think about there's a right place to fear God, to be afraid and terrified by who he is because he's that powerful. We talk about the volitions, the things that we do, the acts of our will, obedience, service, bowing, singing. Again, singing is one of those things we can go through the motions, right? We can sing and sing and sing and just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood. I got that one memorized. I've sang that about five million times from the time I was born. We can sing it without a heart, right? And then we're just going through motions, right? I-, I tell you something I do when I sing a lot of times when it's got we, 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 you know, the word we in those. I'll sing I. I praise you, not we praise you. Or I- I'll try to change it and make it a prayer i try to think about i'm praying through this singing right now and it's a whole lot more about the heart of our singing than the performance of our mouth thank goodness for me on that part right kneeling all kind of ways and then spiritual what do how do we we worship is a spiritual act praise is a spiritual act devotion is an act of our spirit right that i'm devoted to this but I want to spend a couple more minutes today talking about one, concentrating on one simple component of reverence. It's probably the most common one that comes to my mind. When I hear the word reverence, this is probably the first thing that pops in my mind, and that is the fear of God, right? The recognition of the power of God. And we've talked about some of these other components at other times, actually. You know, just like the position of God, we, when we talked about him being the potter and we being the clay, that's a positional understanding. He's the potter, we're the clay, right? Um, and so we've talked about some of these other things. I want to take just a moment to focus on what it means to fear God. Because in the Old Testament, this is how it's mostly referred to. This is how reverence is generally talked about throughout much, much of the Old Testament. And so reverence... Whoops... So, I'm going to read to you from uh, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, when it comes to reverence, reverence is where we start. Like I said, everything starts with God. And if we're going to live right lives, if we're going to develop into disciples, if we're going to get to know Him better, it starts with God. Everything starts with Him. Psalm 8 says this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. There are three things that when we look at this, when we look at creation, there's a picture from from the sistine chapel michelangelo's the creation of adam where god reaches out and touches adam to think about being start that god started with us gives us value of life it says he's made us a little lower than the heavenly beings we are valuable because god made us it gives us purpose you have been given, we are given in verse 6, it says, you're given dominion over the works of your hands. You have put things under our feet that we have a purpose to serve God. As we begin in understanding what it means to be a man and what life is all about, our value, our purpose, and then our authority. Because that, that Psalm 8 starts off with, Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. And it ends with, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. It starts and it ends with God. And we find our value and our purpose in the middle, uh, in in between who God is in the beginning and who God is in the end. This is how our life starts. This is where it all starts, our reverence. And later in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, it says, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. The one may turn away from the snares of the death. And so reverence, this fear of the Lord sets the course for our lives. Again, in the book of wisdom from Proverbs 3, 5, and 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That God is this guiding force in our life. And that when we fear him, when we revere him, he sets the course for our life. He's the, he's the compass, right? Leading us to true north. And who do you think and what do you think we're going to find when we get to true north? That God is leading us to himself. That we may come to, to find him. He's leading us back to paradise. He's leading us back into the Garden of Eden where we, where we were kicked out of, right? And, and, and like following him, I will make your path straight. So that you can straightly find me. Don't lean on your own wisdom. Follow me. Let him set the course for our lives. Reverence is the purpose for life. Fearing God is the purpose of life. What is the purpose of life? To fear God. Ecclesiastes 12:13 says this. The end of all the matters. All has been heard. At the end of all things, what's the bottom line, bottom line, bottom line? Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You want a life purpose verse? A purpose of life verse? There you go. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 12, and 13 says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for good. What is life all about? Fearing the Lord. Westminster Catechism asked it in the very first question, it asked this, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To fear the Lord. This is the purpose of life. There's an interesting passage in Luke's gospel, the 23rd chapter, verse 40. We'll see this verse in a couple weeks, most likely. Three men are hanging on a cross and they're dying. Jesus is in the middle, surrounded by two thieves, and they're bickering back and forth. And one thief says to the other thief, but the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? He asked him a question, hang there. What's wrong with you? Don't you fear God? Don't you fear? You're about to die. And here you are spouting off like a raving idiot. What's wrong with you? Don't you fear God? From a website that I like looking up stuff quite often, gotquestions.org, if you ever want, if you got a question, that's a good place to go. It says this, reverence for God is a quality missing in much of what masquerades as Christianity today. Instead of the kind of reverence we see demonstrated throughout the Bible, modern Christianity has adopted a Jesus is my buddy attitude. I actually not too long ago heard someone say it this way, Jesus looks good on you. Or as another pastor once said, with the problems that too many churches today are facing, they don't make Jesus sexy. That's a grossly downplays the holiness, power, and righteous wrath of the sovereign creator. Reverence does not refer refer to God as the big guy in the sky or the man upstairs. Once we truly know who God is, we reverence him in our hearts. Even the thief on the cross, after he realized who Jesus was, rebuked the other thief for his irreverence. Don't you fear God? And he said to the other thief, then he turned to Jesus and honored him as king and said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. So I want to take just a couple minutes, if you'll bear with me, to consider what's it like when reverence is lost? We've talked about what reverence is, we've talked about how the Bible describes it as the fear of the Lord. Well, what happens when reverence is lost? Well, number one, if reverence is, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and you don't have that, then there is foolishness. It's described in Romans chapter 1 verses 18, verses 28 through 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. As soon as they didn't choose to recognize God and who He was any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind, to foolishness. To do the things which were not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy. "...murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, they also give hearty approval." To those who practice them. Complete and utter foolishness. And I read those and I'm like. I think I might know what's missing in the world today. A little fear of God would go a long ways. When, we, when reverence is lost. There's death. If the fear of God is a fountain of life. When you lose that. You have death. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the but its end is the way of death. If God's not guiding our lives, then who's running the ship? It means we are. And that will lead to a dead end every time. And so either God's gonna guide our ship and guide our lives, or he's not. And if God guides it, it'll be a straight path. And it would be a fountain of life. If we guide it, we're going to just drive ourselves literally into the ground. When reverence is lost, everything is meaningless. If the purpose of life is to know God and to fear God and to love God and to serve God, then when we lose that, everything else is meaningless. God is like the sun to the solar system, right? He sits in the center and everything revolves around him. Without the sun, our planets, the one in which we now abide and our moon, it will all just spin off into chaos. He is the one orienting thing to all of life. And without him, there is no direction. There is nothing to hold us together. There is nothing to drive the force. There is no sense to the world. And in the beginning of Ecclesiastes, this is what the the writer of Ecclesiastes says, in verse 4, it says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the but the earth remains forever. And, and it says, This it says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. I've seen everything. This is Solomon, who's the wisest, richest man who ever lived. I've seen it all. And behold, all is vanity and chasing after the wind. All that matters is getting God and letting him be the guide. Everything else is meaningless if we don't have reverence for god and so the bottom line bottom line of today if we want to live right if you want to have a righteous or a right living life reverence the fear of god the awe of god the the respect of god uh the holiness of god that is the bedrock for a right living or for living right it all starts with him It's all about Him. It is Him and only.